amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are So glad to be with you this morning. So glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I want to let you know uh, that uh, that uh, c- composition of Amazing Grace was arranged by Rebecca. Uh, I don't know how long ago you arranged that, Rebecca, but uh, thank you for, for helping us uh, this morning to worship by singing that and leading us through that. Uh, so uh, if you want, uh, feel free to come up and tell Rebecca that she deserves uh, like an award or something. She's so embarrassed. She's so embarrassed that I'm doing this right now. Uh, but anyways, great to have you here worshiping with us this morning, especially if you're a guest. Uh, we are so thrilled that you're here. I want to let you know uh, as I get started today that uh, this is a really exciting time at Skillman for me, uh, uh, and I want to tell you at least one reason why, uh, because uh, this needs to be said. Uh, our Bible classes right now 
oh my goodness, our Bible classes are awesome right now. If you're not in a Bible class, I would highly, highly encourage you uh, to come and join us at 9.30 on Sunday mornings for our Bible class hour. Uh, we've got classes that have been going strong this year. We started the year by wanting to really uh, put some emphasis on these classes, and there's not a week that goes by that I don't hear from somebody in one of the classes that says, you're not going to believe what we talked about this week. It was awesome. So just a quick rundown of some of the classes that are available to you that you need to check out. Uh, the first that I want to talk about is our newest class, the Mango class. Uh, and our, yeah, that's right. Uh, our Mango class has been on fire recently. Uh, let me tell you, if, uh, uh, if you want to be on the cutting edge of a spiritual conversation, you need to be in this class. Uh, they are not afraid to talk about anything. Uh, and uh, so if that's your cup of tea, uh, join that class on Sunday mornings. Uh, I also want to let you know, that our uh, encouragers class and our ladies class have been going through the Bible credit curriculum. Uh, our ladies class is a little bit further ahead and down the road, uh, and it's going great from what I hear. Uh, and our encouragers class has recently just started in the past month or two, uh, that Bible credit curriculum. And so if you desire, what, I mean, you'll almost come out of these classes with a PhD in the Bible. If you want to know everything there is to know about the Bible, you need to join one of those two classes. Uh, I want to let you know, too, about uh, my class, the Covenant class. Uh, I'm enjoying our Covenant class right now. We've been going through the fruit of the Spirit, uh, dwelling in each component of this fruit of the Spirit every week. And uh, I, I need to tell you a, a short little story because a couple weeks ago we began this by dwelling uh, on love. Love is, of course, how the fruit of the Spirit begins. So we were dwelling on love, and I led our class through a contemplation exercise where we would uh, picture ourselves loving someone or we would picture God loving ourselves. And uh, at the end of that class, I heard from multiple people the same comment. Uh, they felt like I was hypnotizing them uh, in that contemplation exercise. Uh, multiple people, uh, unrelated, told me the same thing. Uh, and so if you come to the covenant class, I, I tell you right now, I promise, I will not hypnotize you, uh, but we would love to have you in the covenant class. And then uh, finally, uh, not least at all, but our blessings class has been journeying through the gospel of Matthew recently. And uh, if I wasn't teaching a different class, I would probably be in that class because Matthew is my favorite gospel and uh, things are going really well. That class is really enjoying their study and getting to dive deep into the words of scripture. Uh, so I tell you that because not only is this an exciting time at Skillman, but because uh, there is a lot that God is doing among us right now. God is present. God is active. God is leading us in conversations, leading us through Scripture, and we are so excited about this. And so uh, if you're not in a Bible class, I would encourage you to consider uh, being a part of one of those, coming and visiting uh, and checking out all these different classes. Uh, you can come and find me if you want to find out where they meet and things like that. Uh, well, today we are starting a new sermon series. It's going to be a short little sermon series, just three weeks, uh, and uh, it's going to be unlike anything that I have ever done in preaching. Uh, I've not been preaching for very long, but this is going to be very different for me, uh, and so I'm excited about this. I'm really, uh, I hope that you'll find a way to engage and enjoy what we're going to be doing over these next couple of weeks, because we're going to be spending uh, time over these next three weeks focusing our worship, focusing our entire service upon a song. Uh, today, I hope uh, that it's not been a secret to you what that song is. Uh, you've probably been able to guess it. It's printed in your program. Uh, it's written on the screen behind me. We've sung it a couple of times in a couple of different ways already today. But we're doing this for a couple of different reasons. Uh, the first, of course, is to honor our tradition, to honor our tribe and our heritage, because we are people who have always loved singing. Uh, churches of Christ historically have been a cappella churches, which means that we sing without instruments. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there's no music, right, praise team? Uh, there is still music, but there are no instruments. So we sing with our voices. We make music uh, with our voices, and we sing these songs. And so we're doing it to honor our, our, who we are, because this is who we are. We, are. we are people who worship together. 
We are people who gather together to sing praise to our God. And so this is uh, uh, an opportunity for us to engage uh, maybe a little bit more intentionally during this. I have asked some of our praise team leaders, I don't know if they're going to take me up on it or not, uh, but I've asked them that if they want, they can even teach us some music during our service. Uh, and so uh, I'm somebody who does not know anything about how to sing. Uh, I don't have a good voice, none of that. Uh, so I need all the help I can get. So in the next couple of weeks, we might be practicing some music together as a church. I don't know what they're going to have us do, uh, but we're going to be intentionally engaging in these songs, uh, building our service, building our worship upon the words, uh, the meaning of a song. And so today uh, we are doing that with the song Amazing Grace, of course. But we're not just going to focus on this song to honor our tradition or honor our heritage. Uh, we're doing it for so much more than that, too, because there are some songs that when you sing them, when you hear them, they do something within you, right? Song, music, has power, and that power can be used in, in, in many different ways, but what we want to do during these couple of weeks is to use the power that these songs, these words have to remind us of who our God is, what our God is like. And so we've chosen a couple of different songs, and, and, and some of them uh, may be songs that you really like, maybe not, who knows. Uh, anytime you talk about worship, it always gets uh, difficult because everybody likes certain kinds of worship or songs, and other people like different kinds. So I hope that these will be songs that can be meaningful to you. I hope that they'll be things that, that carry weight and importance. But I would ask that even if the song that we focus on one Sunday isn't your particular song, isn't a song that you particularly like, that you'll create space within our worship atmosphere for somebody that that song does mean something. Uh, it, it's not a secret. Uh, there's been studies that show this, that uh, whatever music, whatever song, uh, whatever type of worship is, is happening, whenever we are at our most spiritually formative, that that is the music that for the rest of our life we will love, we will seek, we will yearn for. And so in your life, whatever season of your life was the most spiritually formative, chances are that that's the type of worship music that you yearn for, that you seek, that you desire, that you love. And so we're going to try to make space for a lot of different uh, types of this. And trust me, we could go on for weeks and weeks because every person in this room, uh, there is a type of music that connects with them. Uh, but we're only going to have three weeks to do this. And so uh, please bear with us as we've selected a few of these songs. They're, they're songs, I think, that carry a lot of weight and a lot of meaning to them. Uh, and so we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks to honor our church, to honor our tradition and our heritage. And also because these songs do something. They, they speak powerfully into our lives. They carry weight. They carry importance. There are things behind the words that remind us of who God is. Uh, a qu quick little thought experiment just to prove that last point. Uh, how many of you remember the last time that I preached? What? Less than I thought. How many of you remember the last uh, thing that I preached on? What was the last uh, maybe sermon title or text? Yeah, even less. Uh, but how many of you right now, if I asked you, could recite the lyrics to Amazing Grace? Yeah, much more. Uh, song has power. These songs have power. Uh, and and just, just to get you guys off the hook, I barely remember what I preached on last time either, so it's fine. Uh, but uh, these songs have power. They carry weight. They have meaning. And these songs come to be important to us. And so we're going to focus our worship. We're going to build our worship upon a song each week for the next three weeks. And this week, we have chosen Amazing Grace. It's not a secret song. It's not one that uh, should surprise many of us. It's perhaps the most important hymn in American church history. Now, what's funny about that is that, of course, it was, wasn't written by an American, but over the past couple hundred years, this song has come to capture the American church. Uh, and perhaps more than any song, this song defines us, defines who we are. 
So this song, Amazing Grace, was written in the year 1779, or at least that's the year that it was uh, published. Uh, that's the year that it was uh, first written down and uh, dispersed for people, uh, and it was written by a guy by the name of John Newton. John Newton is an interesting fellow. He's an Englishman, uh, and John Newton led a very bizarre life. John Newton worked in very different fields uh, across the course of his life. So John Newton, when he was a young man, uh, uh, was raised uh, primarily by his mother for the first six years of his life. But when he turned six, his mother passed away. And so for the next couple of years, uh, his father was a sailor and was constantly uh, at sea. And so John Newton uh, grew up for much of his uh, adolescence without uh, a, a parent who was always there. And so when John Newton uh, grew of the right age, he joined his father uh, in the trade of, of working as a, as a sailor at sea. And John Newton, throughout the course of his life, would continue this in, in a different capacity along the way. And as he grew older, John Newton, uh, he developed what we would call a lewd or crude uh, or, or, or inappropriate personality. Uh, John Newton's captains, the people that, uh, that ran the ships that he was a part of, described him as the lewdest, uh, the meanest, uh, the ugliest person that they had ever met. John Newton was not a nice guy. Now, what you need to know about John uh, Newton's childhood is that uh, his mother was a Christian. And so up until the age of six, he had been taught, he had been shown the way of Christ. But when he turned six, when his mother passed away, uh, he no longer had that foundation, no longer had Christ in the background of his life. And so his life began to change, and he began to be one of the, the meanest people at sea that his captains had ever seen. Eventually, John Newton uh, became a captain of a ship himself and was involved in the slave trade. Uh, he was involved in, in carrying people from Africa to the New World, uh, carting them here for slavery. And ac across the course of that time, uh, John Newton began to change because one of the uh, experiences he had at sea, he nearly died. Uh, a storm came up, and it began to... to uh, nearly overturned his ship, and he nearly died, along with several of his shipmates. And over the course of this, he was reminded that there are powers beyond him in the world, that there is something even greater than himself in the world. He couldn't control this storm. He couldn't stop it from taking his life, even if he wanted to, and he was lucky to survive that storm. And so John Newton began to change. He began to be reminded of what he grew up knowing, what his mother had taught him when he was uh, six years old and younger, that there was a God, and that we know this God through Christ. And so John Newton was converted back to Christianity because of this near-death experience. Now, Newton, uh, he would go on, uh, and, and over the course of several more decades, uh, this conversion, this reconversion, this transformation in his life would continue to take place. And so finally, about 20 years after the fact, after that near-death experience at sea and after his reconversion, John Newton began to write the words to Amazing Grace. And yet, even though it took him 20 years to write these words down, you can see how over the course of his entire life that God was leading him to this moment to write these words. These words were written at a particular point in his life, but his entire life had been building towards it. Everything about his story led him to write these words. So I would encourage you uh, now to listen to the first verse of this song again as we hear it sung.
What Newton came to discover over the course of his life and through that encounter at sea where he nearly lost his life was that God's grace was for him. God's grace was for him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when John Newton wrote those words, he meant it. Because he was the meanest guy that the captains of his ships ever knew. And he was involved in transporting slaves to captivity. When he wrote those words, he meant it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Throughout scripture, there are many stories. There are many examples of people who uh, yearn to have their eyesight restored to them. John Newton writes these words that he once was blind, but now he sees. And he taps into this stream of the biblical story of Scripture. Over and over again, we see examples of, especially when we get to the ministry of Jesus, of Jesus healing people whose eyes have failed them, of restoring sight to the blind. And so I think of stories like in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9 and 10, we have this encounter where Jesus heals a man who is born blind. And of course, the disciples and the Pharisees, they want to know who sinned to cause this man to be born blind. And Jesus responds, no, no, it's not about that. It's not about who sinned or who didn't sin. It's about the grace of God, that even God in this moment in history could heal this man, could restore sight to the blind, could bring the world back to rights in this one person's life, even as Jesus is working to do that for all of us. I think of stories uh, later on, like in the, in the book of Acts, when Saul, this guy who has been persecuting the church, this guy who is on his way to Damascus to uh, imprison, uh, perhaps to even kill Christians, and he's struck blind on the road, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's conversion to Paul begins. Of course, Saul has to go to the home of a Christian once he arrives, and, and, and of course, I'm sure that this Christian is thinking, Jesus, do you really want the guy who's killing Christians to, to come to my house? Thanks a lot for that. But Paul, scales fall from his eyes. His sight is restored. He begins to see again, and his life changes drastically, and he becomes perhaps the world's best missionary from that point forward. This guy who had been persecuting Christians, killing them, become, becomes God's instrument to share the message of Jesus with the world. I think of one more passage. There are stories all over scripture about this, but the one passage I want us to spend some time reflecting on and reading together today as we consider these words that John Newton wrote back in the 1700s. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35. If you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn over there with me. We're going to read some verses here together in just a moment. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, but you want to follow along uh, in the Bibles in front of you, uh, it, you can turn to page 1111, and I will never get to say those numbers again. It was amazing when I figured out that that was the page number it was on, but uh, 1111, uh, and you can read with us in Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah is prophesying, and he's beginning to envision a new world, a world that God has restored, a, a world that God has redeemed, uh, a world that things are the way that they are meant to be, 
And Isaiah is prophesying. He's envisioning this future that God has in store. And and he begins to say these words, and I want to read them for us together today. Isaiah chapter 35, starting in verse 3. Isaiah says, Strengthen the weak hands and support the unsteady knees. Say to those who are panicking, Be strong, don't fear. Here's your God coming with vengeance and divine retribution. God will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be cleared. The lame will leap like the deer, and the tongue of the speechless will sing. Waters will spring up in the desert and streams in the wilderness. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground fountains of water. The jackal's habitat, a pasture, and grass will become reeds and rushes. A highway will be there. It will be called the holy way. The unclean won't travel on it, but it will be for those walking on that way. Even fools won't get lost on it. No lion will be there, and no predator will go up on it. None of these will be there. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The Lord's ransomed ones will return and enter Zion with singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and groaning will flee away. Isaiah pictures this future scene. He envisions what God is doing in the world. He envisions what God is up to. And as he's going through this, the things of the world that aren't the way that they, are, they should be, the things that cause grief, the things that cause difficulty, the things that lead to death, Isaiah sees a world where those things are turned on their heads. And instead of predators being out there, the stars will continue to win in the Stanley Cup finals. I couldn't help myself. It's in the, it's in the Bible. I couldn't help myself. Instead of predators, the lamb will lie down with the lion, to use an image from Revelation. Instead of fools walking on the road, instead of that, it will be the Lord's way, the Lord's highway, and all who walk upon it will become righteous. Instead of the eyes of the blind keeping them from being able to see, instead of the ears of the deaf keeping them from being able to hear, God's world will be restored. It will be brought back to newness. It will be brought back to the way that God always envisioned it, always intended it to be. Isaiah has this image in his mind, this image that God has given to him of God's world put to rights. And he says, the blind will see. The blind will see. And John Newton taps into that, and he begins to understand in his own life and for our lives that God's grace is for us even when we feel like we can't see what God is doing, even when we don't understand what it is that God is up to around us. I love the way that this passage in Isaiah starts, too, because it's not how you would expect it to start. Did you notice what it says in in verse uh, 3 there? Uh, Verse 3 and 4. Here's your God coming with vengeance and divine retribution. And when we hear those words, we begin to think of scenes like Armageddon, we begin to think of, of, of places and uh, difficulties, toils, wars. We begin to think of God coming with, with anger into this world. But what happens next is that God's world is recreated. It's restored. It's redeemed. It's as if Isaiah is trying to help us understand that God's vengeance, God's retribution on the world is not to destroy it, but to create it anew. That what God is doing in our world is bringing life, 
is opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. That God, his grace, is for us. And this is something that Newton began to learn and began to understand. And so he wrote these words because he was beginning to learn, beginning to feel that God's grace was for him. Newton, if Newton could feel this, I mean, he was a slave trader. He was described as the meanest guy that these captains had ever known. And he came to understand that God's grace was for him, that God's grace could work through him, that through his life, God could do what Isaiah envisioned, that God could bring about creation again instead of destruction. John Newton is an interesting guy to think about, an interesting guy to talk about. Uh, He continued uh, thinking about this song. Even after he wrote it, he continued to think about the words that he had written. And he wrote another verse, a verse that we haven't sung yet together today. But he wrote these words, and he said, The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below shall be forever mine. And when I think about that verse, when I hear those words, I wonder if he had in the background of his mind his entire life story. I wonder if he had in the background the things that he had done. I wonder if he was looking ahead to the time when when he would be facing his death, when he would be called to account before God for what he had done in his life. And I wonder if in that moment he wrote those words, but God shall be forever mine. If this God who envisions restoration and recreation, if this God who who desires to bring life and not death, if the God who we believe the Easter story to be true about, if that God is really, truly God, then that's the God that will be forever mine. And I wonder if in that moment, as he wrote those words, if God was looking down on John Newton and thinking, but you shall be forever mine. If John Newton wrote these words for his relationship to God, but God, while he's writing them, is thinking about them from his perspective, that God is envisioning all of us forever being his. God shall be forever mine, and God is thinking, you are forever mine. Because this is the God that we worship, the God who desires to bring life and not death, the God who resurrected Jesus from the grave, The God who has defeated sin in our lives. And God's grace, it's for you. And it's for me. Even though John Newton was one of the worst people, worst kinds of people, people didn't enjoy his company. God's grace was for him. And it's for you. And it's for me. And in your life, whenever you encounter something about yourself or about your circumstances that you don't like, God's grace is for you. And when you sin, and when you feel that separation from God, God's grace is for you. And when someone sins against you, God's grace is for them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton wrote those words, and they're true for all of us. They're true in all of our lives. God's grace is for you. One more story before we close. 
on January 30th, 1956, Martin Luther King Jr.'s house was bombed and it caught fire. Martin Luther King Jr., of course, worked uh, for civil rights in the United States. He dedicated his life to, to both civic duty and to preaching the story of Jesus. What an amazing thing to do. And he worked tirelessly throughout his entire life, eventually giving his life to try to bring about uh, unity, equality, and justice. And on January 30th, 1956, of course, somebody who brings a message like this, a message that mirrors the message of Jesus, of course, there will be opposition to it. And so on January 30th, his home was bombed and it caught fire. Now, on that particular day, Martin Luther King Jr. was off speaking to a group of people about this nonviolent resistance that he was forming. He was trying to teach and to train people about this, and all the time, his wife and daughter are at home. And so when he heard news of what had happened to his home, he of course left and rushed home. And upon finding out that his wife and daughter were safe, even while his home was burning to the ground, Martin Luther turned to the crowds that had followed him from that meeting, and he encouraged them to go home to not turn violence into more violence, to continue to follow this same path, to continue to try to love even when our enemies don't love us in return, even when our homes are burning, even when we're not sure if our families are safe or not. Martin Luther King Jr. stayed dedicated to that message, the message that Isaiah envisioned in the future, the message that Jesus brought about because of the cross and the empty tomb. And as the story goes, the crowds listened. They didn't start a riot. They didn't lead into more violence. They turned and they began to go home. And as they did, they began to sing Amazing Grace together. This song has power. The words of this song, the meaning of this song, what it communicates to us about who God is, It matters, and it reminds us that God's grace is for us. This morning, we're going to continue our worship by singing this song one last time. And as we do that, of course, we'll be down front. I would love to spend some time visiting with you about God's grace and how you can receive it through baptism. And I would love to spend some time with you doing that. Our elders are going to gather around the room, and as they do, they'd love to spend some time praying with you as well. Uh, They'd love to to find out what's going on in your life that you need prayer over. As we sing this song again, as we meditate on these words, as we sing them together, please remember, God's grace is for you. God's grace is for us all. Let's stand and worship together.